Uh, the the uh, first reading today is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Second reading is from Romans um, chapter um, 1, verses 16 to 32. First chapter, verse 16 to 32. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is in the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickednessness of people who suppress the truth by the wickedness, by their wickedness, since that may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave um, thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their, their woman exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another, 
men committed shameful acts with one with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. And may I, may I add my welcome to that of Robert? Uh, particularly if you're visiting with us this morning, it's really good to see you. My name is Andis, and I'm the pastor here at Grace Church. Um, it's always um, a lively, a lively, slightly lively mess um, around the, the sort of pre-sermon time. We allow children to peacefully, hopefully peacefully, depart to wherever they're going, I think to the park. Um, for their little Sunday school lesson. Um, is, any, is anyone translating to someone this morning in any other language or no? So I don't, I don't particularly see. If, if you are translating to someone, I have uh, another, another transcript of the sermon. I just remembered to, to print it out because sometimes we do have a translation to Russian or Ukrainian or... Anyways, no worries. So all the children are gone. Good. Very good. <laughs> God bless that time uh, together. Um, just a quick reminder before we, before we start. Um, you heard the two readings, one reading from Ephesians, one through Romans. And may I just remind us that, um, that what we do on, on these Sundays, we are not doing um, a typical thing that we do normally. We go through the books of the Bible. And if we read Ephesians, we pretty much have a, a decent in-depth sort of Ephesians passage, passage study. And the same would go for Romans. But this time around, when we have a topical series, I will only highlight some of the particular relevant aspects of these passages. And so, uh, so it, it's just, if, if you suddenly get confused, so why, 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 why are we not having an in-depth study of Ephesians this morning? It is because we are in the middle of, or so, of the topical series um, here on Sundays about God, uh, marriage, sexuality, gender, and church. Uh, and so that is why. Uh, if you were here last week, um, we started to think about the purpose of sexuality. What is sexuality for? And we said that alongside marital union, having children, and sexual pleasure, God created us all as uh, sexual beings to make himself more fully knowable. That was the big thing last week. And so straight thinking about sexuality is crucial because forced thinking about it will lead 
inevitably lead to false living. I recall a passionate young man. He was a gifted um, musician with sharp theological mind. He got married and they both served in a local church. But when it came to same-sex relationships issues, the Bible's teaching just didn't sit right with him. After some time, he himself came out as bisexual. He and his wife uh, apparently didn't have problems with this particular aspect, but they had to leave their local church. They started their own LGBTQ plus inclusive church. And I'm not quite sure where they are at the moment and what they are really doing, but false understanding of the place and purpose of sexuality inevitably will lead to false living. Take sexuality out of its proper rightful context and all sorts of problems will follow down the road. For example, you might see nothing wrong with engaging in emotional fantasy about someone in uni or work. Uh, you might want to start uh, to uh, rationalize using um, porn as normal part of expressing yourself sexually. You might want to start to question if same-sex relationships are necessarily wrong, if the two people are faithful to each other. Uh, and if you're married but not enjoying sex in your marriage, you might want to start to look for alternatives. Take sexuality out of its proper context and place, and all sorts of problems will inevitably um, be down the road. So how confident, this morning, how confident are you about the rightful context for sexuality? How confident are you? Now, building on the previous week, God wants us to see his big picture truth about the purpose of our sexuality. God wants us to see that he is right in designing male and female, equal but different. This union in difference is a picture of God's grand design and purpose. The union between his son, Lord Jesus, and his people, the church. And God wants us to really grasp that his design, original design, is good so that we worship him alone. Not other people, not sex, no other created thing, but God and God alone. Now, all that sounds lovely, right? At least in theory, it sounds lovely. And I think it sounds really nice here on Sundays when we um, are together with a few like-minded people that surround us, that support us, that encourage us. And um, that all sounds really great. But how confident are we about the teaching of the Bible when tomorrow comes? And we are back to our struggles uh, with our uh, damage, uh, you know, damaged sexualities 
in, in, in different places where people have different ideas about how to think about these things? How confident are we tomorrow? Well, it's 1st of May, tomorrow it's a holiday, but anyways, you understood me, 2nd of May, Tuesday, back at our uni or work. So my goal for us today, friends, is to build our confidence, build our confidence and trust in God's right and good design for us. Because we have so many different voices um, speaking to us today in very uh, persuasive slogans. Do you recognize some of these? Love wins. Love is love. Love has no labels. Proud to be different. Diversity is strength. Rainbow is the new black and so on. Very uh, loud, persuasive slogans. But we, we have to realize that what lies behind these inspiring slogans is actually an ideology, ideology that is hostile to God's right and good design for people. So we will first look at what, why same-sex relationships can't be an option for Christians. Why is being confident in God's right and good design so important? Because false thinking will lead not only to false living, but it will lead ultimately to false worship. So secondly, we will look at how false understanding of sexuality prompts the false worship. Well, this is where we are going uh, this morning. But before we do, let me say uh, one thing loudly and, and clearly. If same-sex attraction and or relationships is a particularly painful subject to you personally, then you really are in the right place. Grace International is a community where all sorts of people are welcome. This needs to be stated and restated. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter in what areas you are tempted, heterosexual or homosexual, you are very warmly welcome here at Grace Church to search together with the rest of us the truth that is in Jesus. And to find support in dealing with whatever there is uh, in your life. Grace International is not a cruise ship that gathers people who feel really good about themselves. No, Grace International is a life-saving boat of sinners that are rescued by grace and now, now help others find where grace is. And none of us, none of us, including me, are completely sorted. That's, that's a, I think that's an important starting point before we kick off. So keeping in mind grace um, that is available to us all in Jesus, let's look firstly at why same-sex relationships can't be an option for Christians. Well, the short answer is because God chose so. 
That's a very short answer because God chose so. God, in his infinite wisdom, decided that union and difference is the best way that humans can flourish. God designed that. Of course, this answer on its own doesn't completely satisfy. Even less so, it seems plausible to any of our non-Christian friends, right? To them, Bible's ban of same-sex marriage and sex just seems very arbitrary. It is indeed a battle for authority. They will say, who says that same-sex relationships are wrong? You? Are you the authority on it? But it's also, it's also a very emotionally charged question about morality. They will say, now how can you deny so many people happiness? How is same-sex marriage or civil partnership a threat to heterosexual marriage? And so on. And on top of it, they will say, well, if this is what your God says, I don't want anything to do with him. Because to them, God's design for man and woman is arbitrary. It's silly. It rather excludes than includes. So what is, what is a reasonable justification why two men or two women can't get married and have sex? What is a reasonable justification? Now, instead of looking at the select passages about the prohibi uh, pro prohibition of same-sex relationships from the Old Testament and spending time there, I want us to stick with God's big picture approach and, and the first reading that we had this morning. I think it makes much more compelling case for giving up all other sexual unions um, in this creation. So if you have Ephesians open, please turn back, turn back to Ephesians 5. And let's read particularly from verses 28. Ephesians 5, we will start from verse 28. So in the same way, husbands should love their wives as they, their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, you've probably heard this passage read and preached a good number of times. If you've ever attended any weddings, you, you might have heard this passage being expounded. And, and some of you will study it in your Bible study in a couple of weeks' time, if you're with Andres' group. We could pick up on various things about marriage from these verses. What I want us to see for now 
is this. That human marriage between a man and a woman, it triggers in Paul's mind what it points forward to. The divine marriage of God's son to God's people. They both are so closely linked in his thinking and also in Christian theology. So how does, how does that work in practice? I think it works like this. As people observe Christian marriage, they should realize and they should be pointed to Jesus. As they view Christian marriage, it should point them to Jesus. As they see a Christian wife submitting to the loving authority of her husband, people should make sense of church that is living in obedience to Christ. Pure and simple in an ideal world, of course. As they see a Christian husband, on the other hand, sacrificially loving his wife, people should make sense of Christ that sacrificed himself for the sake of the church, his body, in an ideal world. Now, why can't Paul be talking here about two men or two women? in exclusive, permanent, and faithful relationships, as many would suggest, even in the church. It almost seems that Paul is expecting that sort of question. Please look again closely at verse 31 and 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you see how Paul doesn't stand on his own authority? He goes back to Genesis. He quotes Genesis 2 and God's creation design for marriage. There's nothing arbitrary. It's a union in difference. That's why. That's why it can't be two men and two women. Sexual difference is non-negotiable when it comes to a Christian understanding of sex and marriage. You see, bodies really matter. Why? Because they represent future realities. That's why the bodies really matter. The different bodies of a man and a woman in marriage represent the union in difference between the divine Jesus and the church. As Clive Staple Lewis, one of the, the 20th century um, really bright thinkers and theologians um, said, he said this is a quote, we have no authority to take the living and seminal figure which God has painted on the canvas of our nature and shift them about as if they were mere geometrical figures. Slightly philosophical, but I think his point is clear. And yet it is exactly what gay marriage advocates want to do. They want to force this society to accept the union in sameness 
as identical to the union of indifference. But it is not simply there. It's not there. You can't ignore biology. You can't pretend that bodies don't matter, because they do. Because sexual union between a man and a woman is telling a greater story. Do you see why, why right thinking is crucial? Straight thinking is crucial because it will help us with right living. It's so important. It really, really matters, therefore, how Christians have or don't have sex. Well, let's try to apply this for a moment. If sex in heterosexual, it, it's unbelievable that I have to emphasize that, in heterosexual marriage, verse 31, if sex in marriage trails the profound mystery about the union between Christ and the church, then I think it follows that all sex outside of marriage is out of place and out of question. Now, does it not help and motivate the married ones among us to remain sexually faithful to our spouses? I think it should. And by that I mean not having sex with anyone else, but also do having sex with your spouse, not depriving him on, or, or her of it. I know there are um, a good number of reasons why sex might not happen for a couple, many, many good reasons. I am referring to a general principle, though. But also, does it not help and motivate the unmarried ones among us to remain sexually faithful to Christ? By that I mean abstaining from any sexual relations, heterosexual or homosexual, that are, that are outside of God's defined covenant um, of marriage. I, I think it should. I think we can be honest with the challenges here, my friends. For those of us who are married, there are a number of challenges. Think, have we never been tempted to pursue an emotional fantasy with someone uh, other than our, our spouse? Have we not ever been tempted? What will prevent us from following up on it? Are you making next steps that could lead to an affair and to sex? And I think we should be very clear that it's a reminder what fidelity in marriage stands for, what it really stands for. Well, again, we'll just spend a few seconds allowing our beautiful, nice, peaceful children go to their rooms. What will help to the married ones among us is a reminder what fidelity in marriage stands for. It is a trailer for the blissful heavenly union between Christ and the church. And we, the married ones, our marriages represent that. 
It's a plausibility structure for the gospel. People looking at our marriage, they should learn something about God and his good purposes. But there are struggles. Now, what about those of us who are not married? I am sure you too are tempted in all sorts of different ways. Now, what will help you not to fantasize about this handsome, beautiful work colleague or, or, or uni friend? What will help you? What will help you not to pursue this fantasy? What will prevent you from making next steps that will certainly lead you know, to, to having sex with someone? What will help you? I think that's the same thing. We look at Christ. We look at what our sexual, we remember what our sexuality is ultimately for. It's for realizing how faithful, how loving, how committed Jesus is to us. So that should motivate us being faithful to him as unmarried. And what about those who experience same-sex attraction? I know that our culture, and sadly, even the liberal church, will encourage you to pursue your desires. It will encourage you to pursue your feelings. They will tell you that same-sex sexual relations are actually okay if they are in the context of exclusive, permanent, and faithful relationships. And it kind of sounds nice. It sounds appealing. It even sounds right, you know. But that's a deadly trap. What will help those Christians to abstain from pursuing same-sex sexual relations? What? Well, will it not be the clear grasp of the Bible's big picture teaching. We are simply not authorized to change the symbols that God put into place in this creation. We're not authorized to do that. A union and difference between a man and a woman points forward to the ultimate reality of union and difference between Christ and the church. Again, verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God has said, God has designed. Now, friends, again, how come kind of we understand that right? I, I, I hope we do understand these things, but how come this is so difficult often? How come we find these things not as easy for most of the time? How do I actually deal with my temptation of not being able to take my you know, eyes off this attractive guy or girl uh, on the street at uni or my workplace or social context and kind of pursue my fantasy? Why do I find this so difficult sometimes? Well, because behind all of our feelings, behind all of our desires, is the question about worship. That's why. 
I think that's why it's so difficult. You see, false thinking leads to false living that results in false worship. And this is something that we observe from our second reading today, from Romans chapter 1. And we are going to be thinking, secondly, about how, how do I live with these sort of feelings and desires when I spot obvious, you know, human beauty? How do I live with the human beauty and temptations related to it? And I think a Romans 1 reading is an example of how not to live with it. So we have a positive example in Ephesians 1, and I think we have a negative example in Romans, sorry, Ephesians 5, and a negative example in Romans 1. So um, in Romans 1, we, um, here we have people who have the knowledge of God. Just, just glance at Romans 1.21. They clearly know that there is God, right? Verse 21, Paul says, as they stare at God's creation, they are supposed to conclude one thing. There is God. Definitely. But instead of doing that, honoring God as the creator God, they suppress the truth. Verse 18, they don't worship God. Now, you already know that this place, the human heart, can't remain vacant. We see how these people exchange the worship of creator God for worship of created things. Verse 22. Uh, Paul mentions um, what that is. We, we see that images of birds, animals, and creeping things. And I think today it would be many more different things like power, prosperity, entertainment, and many other things. And so God allows a vicious circle of futile thinking that leads to futile living that results in futile worship. But just notice how in the middle, Paul particularly focuses on one aspect of the unholy exchange. Did you, did you spot it? As people exchange the glory of God for created things, God gives them up, verse 24, to the lusts of their hearts, to the dishonoring of their bodies. Specifically, verse 26, the same-sex sexual relations. Paul does confirm here, right, that human sexuality is rightly connected to worship. We see that so clearly here. False worship leads to false thinking, leads to false living, leads back to false worship, leads to false thinking, and the vicious circle just keeps going. Now the question is, is there any way of breaking this vicious circle? Is there any way out of it? Especially, I mean, for us as Christians, is there any way? And yes, there is. Yes, there is. It is turning to the gospel of Jesus, which is the power of God for salvation. Glance at verse 16. That is that is Paul's big, big answer. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, to the Greek. Here is the answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Again, it, 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 sounds, it sounds right, right? It sounds like a right answer. It's kind of by the book answer. But how does that actually help me? How does the gospel help me in my life with my sexuality in the 21st century? With these many various temptations, how does the gospel help? What do I do with my instinctive attraction to human beauty when I see it, when I recognize it? Be it heterosexual or, or homosexual. How do I live? Well, I think, again, the, the big answer is be clear who you really worship. Be clear who you really worship. You see, being attracted to other people, like everything else in our lives, is a, is a messy mix of both good and bad. Now, every year before the, the summer properly starts, um, and we can say summer is kind of starting now, um, I, I post a friendly reminder to my to my um, Christian friend colleagues in the office, kind of, I, I pose this kind of two sentence or one sentence thing. I say, guys, the season of short skirts has arrived. Hang in there by grace. And by that, of course, I don't mean battling the temptation of cross-dressing in the office. Of course, I mean, you, you know what I mean. I mean, the whole thing with making covenant with your eyes I think it's a very good thing. It's a biblical thing. You know, it's from, from Job. But we really need the whole picture before us if this should work. I, I was very much helped by Ed Shaw, an evangelical pastor uh, from, uh, from UK in, in Bristol. Uh, what, you, what you need to know is Ed is a same-sex attracted man who is celibate, and he is a pastor, pastoring a, a, a large student church. Uh, and I particularly like his honesty about his own experience and about how church has often got things wrong because he, thinks, he sees things from a slightly different perspective, inevitably. And so in his book, the, you know, a little book, Purposeful Sexuality, um, he, writes, uh, he writes this. Here's a quote. I have found that too many Christians only ever feel guilt about their instinctive attraction to human beauty, how they are naturally drawn to beauty in other person or personality. I love how Ed takes his, his readers back to Genesis 1, where we've spent a couple of weeks already, Genesis 1, and he asks a question, when we as human beings find ourselves drawn to beauty in other people or their personality, what are we ultimately being drawn to? That's a searching question that he asks. What is it? And his answer is the image of God. The image of God in them. Well, just think about that for a moment. Just think about that. The smile on their face, their kindness to others, their selflessness towards needy. I mean, all these things, all they, they should remind us of 
God's family likeness. It's his image. It's the image of God. We are ultimately attracted to the image of God in another person. Uh, here's a perplexed, a perplexed young man who once wrote to a pastor confessing his same-sex attraction. And so after reading his, his, his thing, a pastor wrote back saying, here's a quote. Thank you so much for the expression of your desire and hope. You know already that the young man, young, attractive, affectionate, caring, intelligent, spiritual, and socially conscious gay man has only one name, God. Yes, I, I, I do realize how provocatively this point is made. I do realize that. But the different sorts of beauty that all of us, uh, you know, desire and hope for in another, uh, another human being, they come from God himself. And, and so the person we really want and need is God. At the end of the day, that is where we should end up. We really should be following what we are drawn to back to its source. As someone else, um, you know, had put it, all beauty is a breadcrumbs that leads us to Christ. All beauty in creation, be it, you know, things or people, are but the breadcrumbs that should lead us to Christ. Of course, as we already said, being attracted to other people, like everything else in this life, is messy. It's just, it's, a, it's messy. And we often get things wrong. Yes, we do get things wrong. Of course, as we already said, being attracted to other people, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's complicated. And we need all the help we can get. But friends, if we are not thinking straight, that we should realize and be very much aware that we are in a sort of tight spot. If we're not thinking straight, what will happen when we spot beauty in another person or personality? Uh, we, can, we can start to idolize him or her. Uh, we, can, um, we can start to fantasize and idolize. And ultimately, we can actually start to worship another person or personality and want to consume him or her sexually. That's, that's what will happen if we're not thinking straight, if, we, if we're not careful about thinking about that. Now, if we go down that line... Be assured we have a lot of repenting to do. So what we need to get is that God has wired us all uniquely to appreciate the beauty he has scattered all over the creation. That's what we need to appreciate. Yes, as we look at the sunsets, as we look at the trees, art, music, 
actions and words and other people, that's what we should realize. They speak of the creator of the beauty. God has designed beauty to stop us in our tracks and bring us back to him. We need to appreciate increasingly that any time we instinctively are attracted to another human beauty, that it is a call to worship the creator of the beauty, not, 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 uh, not the creation, not the bearer of this beauty. Now, how about remembering that? How about, how about remembering this one thing? As we plunge in a new week of um, a lot of holidays, yes, a lot of uh, uh, free days, but as we go back to our lectures, as we go back to our offices, uh, our gyms and social gatherings, as we go back to our dorms, flats we share with other people, how about remembering that? So, so let me finish with a prayer I stumbled upon that can help us guard our thoughts and that can help us guard our hearts as we feel attracted to, to this or that person. So let, let me pray and close with this prayer. Lord, I praise you for uh, divine beauty reflected in the form uh, of this or that person. Now train my heart so that my response to their beauty would not be twisted, uh, be twisted downward into envy or desire, but would instead be directed upward in worship of you, their creator, as was your intention for all such beauty before the breaking of the world. Amen. Amen. Now, as Robert already mentioned, there might be questions. I know something happened and we didn't take any questions last week. Um, we could have a little sort of 30, whatever, 30 seconds or a minute. And maybe you've jotted down some questions in your phone. I don't know. Maybe there's something that you still are left puzzled about. Maybe something that was left slightly unclear. Maybe there's something that you just um, want to ask. If there is any questions, now we can have a little sort of Q&A, um, both from last week, if you remember anything, of course, but also uh, from something that you heard this week. Um, yeah, you can gather your thoughts. Whoever has a question, uh, don't be shy. Um, Andres reassured me that people in Grace are not shy in asking questions. So just, it's quite a responsibility to leave up to Andres. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, any? So, few other countries, like some Western countries and few other countries are encouraging, as you said, the same sexual attractive people. So, to end up this or to have certain uh, things, the government is also encouraging. So, what, uh, how God is doing this? Why, why does the government have to encourage if it is the same? Right. Um, so I think that the, the question, um, if I understood correctly, so uh, yeah, a lot of Western countries, of course, have, have gone with same-sex kind of um, um, 
marriage in you know it's not actually marriage but marriage uh, agenda uh, and so the question is so why does government encourage I because I think the short answer again is that we live um, in a in a fallen world we live in a fallen world we see that the Europe that was built on Christian foundations very much on a on a solid foundations of um, what is the, the, nu the nucleus of, of the society. It's, it's just erupting. It, I think it's sad. Why they're doing, I mean, obviously, you know, a, a super spiritual answer is because the, the devil is behind it. I mean, just think if, if, if marriage is at the heart of the, the family and then society, and if you want to really destroy the society and destroy God's purposes in this world, you go for this one. You go for sexuality and marriage. And this is what we see in the Western, um, you know, Western civilization. It's just erupting at a crazy, crazy speed. And I, I think that's why uh, the, the church, I think the church is crucial at that point where we, humanly speaking, lose hope in the government, that the church is crucial. A, praying for the government, right? 1 Timothy, pray for the rulers. And also uh, being bold and vocal about these things, not being afraid to preach. I know there are countries in the Western Europe where if you, if, if you would preach a sermon like this in the series, you would probably get cuffed and got, you know, transported to the... To the uh, to the police station, even if not properly charged, is it's it's an instrument of in intimidation. But yes, Maria, it's sad. We live in a fallen world. Um, uh, Satan strikes uh, marriage, sexuality, even through government policies. But the church has a responsibility to pray, preach, and live out. Right, live out, show an example. Sam. It's very, oh, it's a very good question. So, so Sam's question for those of you who didn't hear it in front. So what if your relative, or let's say, what if your friend that you know for some time, you know, he comes out and says, you know, I'm, I'm gay uh, and, and they are getting married, you know, anywhere, somewhere where you can do it, uh, can actually do that. What do we do as Christians? It's a very good question. It's a very hard question, very complicated question. Um, I think honesty straight away is from, from us Christians. That's what's expected. A, a loving but firm honesty about how we think about these things. Well, let, let's put the, the sort of the family. Let, let's, let's separate these two for a moment. Let's stick with the friend thing because with the family, it's much more complicated, much more harder. Um, I, I'd be honest with a friend that I love him. You know, um, I, I love him, but um, the whole same-sex marriage thing is, is, is where I cannot participate. I can express my love in so many different ways, but, but the kind of being, being present and 
blessing with my presence, the, the godless union that's anti-God, anti-God. I mean, you've probably, one of the first things that triggered the, the whole thing was, I think it was in America, where the, the bakering lady refused to bake a cake for a, a lesbian wedding or with a gay wedding. And so she was sued and kind of her business was dragged down to wherever. Um, and, and so, but I think she had her right to do that, right? She had a right to be honest about her own religious views. And, and, and yeah, um, but um, so I, I'd say be honest straight away, meet up. Have an honest, open conversation. Uh, say that you are, are going to continue be a friend of help, but this is where you draw a line. I think you know, even if even if that kind of puts an end to the relationships, I think before God, it's 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 honest. The family, the family is 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 um is very difficult, isn't it? So we've been talking with some. We've been thinking about that. Of course, you know, what if my child? What if my child comes out at some point and says, you know, this is this is who I am? And so I, I think in that I, I was talking to a pastor from from Miami uh, a few weeks ago, and and he also said in their own experience, even in in their church, they sometimes families got these things really wrong. They immediately cut the person out, even if if it's their own child, and they've said, you know, we. We don't want anything to do with you, and kind of that's it. So, I, in in the light of what we've been doing here, it's so unhelpful, isn't it? There's so many ways that a person needs a biblical encouragement as well as challenge in that situation, right? The whole thing of the the, the purpose of sexuality. I mean, Ed, as as a same sex attracted, a celibate, faithful evangelical pastor, has done a lot of thinking, and his his probably answer would be uh, just be alongside, encouraged to think biblically about your sexuality, uh, being being celibate to um, and and being faithful to Christ as you live. Kind of work through with these things. I know you know in a Q and A we can't deal with that, but but cutting off a person and just condemning them uh, is the most unhelpful thing that we can do. It won't win them to Jesus. There's no way. There's no way. Um, is is that mildly satisfying? Did you have your own comment about this, Sam? Right. Any other other, other questions? Hey, Jetty. Yeah. Right. In in Romans chapter one, verse twenty six, says God gave them gave them over or gave them up to dishonorable passions or lustful passions. Um, how would you answer? Yeah. Thank you, Jedi. It's a very good so Jedi pointed us to verses like Romans um one twenty um Six and the lang particularly the language that God gave them up, it's a fairly active language, and I think, I think um, th those kind of verses, um, people they they like to take these verses and say, right, you know, I, I just can't, I I can't help myself, 
God gave me up, you know, kind of bl blame shifting. And I think, so, so there is, again, again, when we talk to people that um, experience same-sex attraction, I think it's, it's, a, it's both. It's encouragement, support, and challenge where needed. Because th that is not where Paul starts, right? We were talking about the vicious circle. Thinking, living, worship. Thinking, living, worship, it goes. But it starts, it starts with everyone, right? Let's get the sexuality out of the picture for a moment. Every human being observing nature, observing uh, creation, they, they, they're supposed to say, there is God. You know, God has created this. And so all the problems, all the rest of the problems start from verse um, 18. But they're in their ungodliness and unrighteousness. Uh, they suppress the truth. So all the problems start from there. All other things in Romans 1, the second half of Romans 1, are the consequences of it. So... Um, I think sometimes, I, th I think the difficult with the whole same-sex kind of issue is that uh, people um, are tempted to make this the only problem, the only thing that matters, you know, kind of focusing on that. Whereas we can helpfully point in Romans 1, there's so many other things that have gone wrong. So, for example, for example, verse... Um, 28 onwards are all other consequences of that suppression that even don't touch upon the same sex issue at all, right? So, um, again, I probably I just slightly uh, worked around Jedi's question. Again, coming, coming back to it quickly, uh, God gave them up. It's, it can be both active and passive. It's sort of active-passive. God actually let them to their desires. He just let them alone. You know, I want to be left alone sometimes, children. You know, they say all kind of, it, we in our sinfulness say. And kind of, we know that it would not be good if we would be left alone. But God says, right, if you, if you want it your way, let it be your way. So that's what we see. We, we want to be left, we want, we want to determine. We, we are the authority. Okay, you are the authority. So that will go what God's done here in Romans. But that's not the end. So we have to take the pe person back to the gospel. You know, 116, it's the power of God for salvation, uh, repentance, um, forgiveness of sins. It won't deal with all the consequences. You know, sometimes, I know that it wasn't the question, sometimes people say, right, if, if you do everything right, if, if God really works in such a person's life, they will be free from temptation and everything for the, you know, they can completely recover. It is simply not promised to us. Someone might struggle with uh, addiction to alcohol and will for, for the rest of their lives. They simply should not touch the drink. That's it. So why does not God deliver them from that, the, the, the addiction? You know, a, a, anonymous alcoholics. Similarly with the same attraction, it's only a promise of the power to remain faithful. That that's the promise of, of all the help from the Spirit as we battle our various temptations. You know, someone is just simply 
struggles with with being faithful to to his wife. You know, he just can't be, uh, you know, monogamous. Again, the same thing. Let, let's not make, in that regard, same-sex attraction as something completely unique. Like, it's like any other, um, uh, you know, is, issue that needs to be dealt with. Maybe final question. Any final question? Oh no, there's two questions. Right. Let's let's. Go. Um, I have a question related to what you said last week, because you mentioned about how when two people get married, they should naturally this father and mother. So that I get. Um, and then in some cultures, usually the moms have a lot of authority in decisions. So how do you, how would a Christian sort of sort of handle the bit if we're supposed to honor our father and mother, and someone is married but the mom is still married? It's a very hard thing to do, isn't it? Even in some Latvian families, yeah, it's 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 very it's very, it's not just you know um, some cultures where big families are. Uh, so the question is from the last week. Thanks, Sam. Um, uh, a man shall leave his his, his father, and mother, you know, uh, cleave to his wife. So how do you honor your father, and mother, while leaving them? How so? How do you? Cut the cord, you know, the umbilical cord. How do you do that? Uh, you know, it's it's difficult. I mean, you know, for, for me personally, it wasn't so difficult because I left my family when I was fourteen. I moved from my hometown to Riga, um, and so kind of I don't feel that my it, it's so pressing to me. But um, but I do realize I've seen I've seen couples getting married and parents on one or the other side are very influential in still in the education things, uh, all things financial, kind of very influential, um, um, even even about the children and their education. So it's, it's a, I mean, conversation, isn't it? Um, sometimes conversation is, often conversations are, are difficult, but they are so necessary. Just, just sitting down, um, maybe it's easier if it's a Christian family and saying, right, um, we are a new family. We, we are a, a new unit. And we just have to figure these things out uh, on our own. Just, just please, you know, can you give us space and time, maybe? You know, just loving. I, you know, I, I don't know. And things can be difficult in, in some cases. And so a, a longer time would be needed to, to reach that, kind of reach that healthy separation. And, of course, that sort of leaving still implies that the children care for their parents, right? They look after them, especially when they reach elderly age. But so it's, um, yeah, it's, in some cases it's easier, some cases more difficult, but um, I think it's the right thing to do, yeah. Vita, let's make it the last one. Okay. Well, my question was connected to Romans. Okay, go on. Yeah, so could that verse also mean, or mean um, that the people had a chance to be saved because they they saw God, you know, and they could come to salvation. They refused, and that is why God left them to their desires. So it means that they're doomed. They doomed. No. Yes. Um. Sorry, uh, but the, the exact question is that the case? Are, are you are you asking? Yes. Is that the case? Yes. Like they don't have any chance to be saved. No, I mean that's simply not true. I mean, I, I should I should look up I should look up um, 
There's a website. It's, it's actually it's sort of linked to the, the the initiative that this pastor started with some others. It's called Living, I think Living It Out. Living It Out. A lot of testimonies from same-sex attracted, you know, sort of homosexual people, both uh, guys and girls, just just bearing witness to how the gospel has transform their lives in, in this area. Um, so no, uh, no, I, I, no one is doomed. Um, so I, I think, no, yeah, that, that's, that's not the case. So that's not what Paul is saying. He paints the picture of the reality, even the picture of some former Christian's reality, but that's not what he is he's saying. So I think our general principle should be, if a person is breathing, a person has a hope, right? Um, even if they, you know, some of our, I don't know about you, but if some of our friends, you know, for 25 years been listening to us, not turning around still, but wh while they are breathing, they have hope. And we pray and we, we witness, we try to be supportive, we challenge where it's necessary, but we, we try to be good friends that, that tell, speak the truth and, and try to live the truth as best as we can. My friends, very good. Let's keep talking about these things, even you know, even after the service. Talk to one another. Uh, yes. I was just going to add to that. Is, is that not the same as with church uh, discipline, where someone is excommunicated so that they may return to God? Yes. Uh, is it the same, not God leading them to the, yes. the, the, the um, sinful desires so that they realize that they're emptiness without? It's a very good point, Andres. Thank you. So we looked in 1 Timothy about uh, excommunication, you know, someone that's per been persisting in sin. So what the church then does, it kind of disciplines the person. Normally it involves, you know, you're not allowed to the Lord's Supper and you're not probably allowed to the closer fellowship. But the purpose of that discipline is so that the person would desire to come back to the fellowship. So that's, that's sort of similarly, I think it's a, it's a, with a similar pattern. Friends, thank you. Thank you so much for all the questions. Very good questions, very hard questions, but very hard topic. But let's let's encourage each other thinking about that. Let's sing and then we'll we'll go on.